Arthur Balper, the team of the Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio wrote formerly for Grantland and currently writes for Baseball Prospectus. Today's knuckleball of FanRag Sports and D1 Baseball, most relevantly for this edition of the program, D1 Baseball, for whom he covers the college game. It is Michael Bauman. Michael Bauman. And most of what one finds here is me asking naive, simple-minded questions of Bauman regarding college baseball. Bauman himself is an alum of University of South Carolina, a school which has had and continues to have a strong baseball program. That's his entry point for the game. What, uh, what's another way that someone could find an entry point into college baseball is a question I ask him. I harass him for a little bit regarding some maybe predictive stats that I've published at Fangraphs past couple weeks and also did last college baseball season. Do these make any sense? is more or less what I say to Bauman. His response is patient and kind-hearted. Uh, finally, we talk about some specific players, including, for example, very talented Louisville outfielder Corey Ray, other very talented Vanderbilt outfielder Jaron Kendall, some players on TCU, and South Carolina freshman pitcher Adam Hill, who's produced better numbers than every SEC pitcher to date, with the exception of Robert Tyler, who's almost definitely a first-round pick in the next draft. A pleasure having Bauman on is what it was. Speaking of great pleasures, would you care to hear a sponsor's message? The sponsor for this edition of the program is Draft and the Draft app. You might be familiar with these daily fantasy sports games, not unlike Draft Kings or FanDuel. That's precisely what Draft is, except for this. It is the first such daily fantasy sports game made exclusively for mobile devices. Here's how you do everything with it, concerning it. If you have the iOS operating system on your phone, you go to the App Store. If you have the Android operating system, you go to Google Play or something like Google Play. You download Draft, you register, and then immediately you can begin participating in one-on-one contests in fantasy sports. What you do is you find an opponent in the Draft universe. This could either be a friend or internet stranger. You conduct a snake draft. You select five players. Those players accrue fantasy points by virtue of the stats they produced in their real live sporting events. And whoever's accrued more points, you or your opponent, this is the winner. You or he or she or it. R is the winner. Games are available every day now for NHL hockey and NBA basketball and will be available very shortly for Major League Baseball. Would you like to raise the figurative and also literal stakes? You can do that with Draft, which allows you to wager real American currents in the outcomes of these games. And would you like to help Fangraphs Audio at all? Do you not detest Fangraphs Audio? Well, downloading and playing Draft. I've been led to believe by CEO and founder of Fangraphs, David Appleman, downloading and playing Draft is a way to do that. There's a way to do that. Okay. That is the end of the sponsor's message. Now let's get to the beginning of a conversation. What is it? It's Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Michael Bauman, most notably, for the purposes of this conversation, most notably of D1Baseball.com. And it begins right now. Now listen, you uh, you and I don't know each other uh, very well. We've met a couple times. We both lived in Madison, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and I know, of course, I know you about you as a presence on this our president's internet. <laughs> um, but uh, I one thing I do know about you f- is that you seem to have lived an itinerant life. Yes, is that true? Uh, well, over the past few years, yeah, I. Lived in the the same house until I went to college, and then I went to grad school, and then found a job, which is how I came to be in Madison. And then um, 
Oh, did you I, work for the uh, what was the healthcare? Thing? I did, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the the large uh, yeah. the large software conglomerate in the in the suburbs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You did that, huh? Yeah, um, <laughs> briefly, as, <laughs> as you might expect. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I I had the the fortune of getting married, and I have followed my wife around ever since. Smart. So very smart. Yeah. Very smart, and that's brought you to to most recently to Houston, Texas. That is correct. But I think before that, perhaps so, you were to migrate, uh, great misfortune. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and before that, you were uh, you were in Columbus, Ohio, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we've we nailed down some places where you were, and that's why the Columbus, Ohio, uh, your situation there. That's why you were covering lots of northern baseball teams for D1Baseball.com. That is. Uh... That's how I came to be employed by D1 Baseball, yes. I was the only person they knew mm-hmm. in uh, <laughs> the only north of the Mason-Dixon, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I think that at some point it's very possible. Now, uh, I know that you have to travel mm-hmm. at some point, and so if uh, if this moves along at uh, too slow a pace, feel free no, to let I me know. I got time. Okay, I won't, I won't keep you on forever anyway. Um, but <clears throat> but Northern Baseball, might be that might be a, a topic upon which uh, we alight. Um, but the, here's the, here's the sort of um, I don't know if it's a thesis statement or not. Um, I've so college baseball is interesting, right? In that it is the teams are actually playing real baseball right now. Yes. Um, and competitive baseball, which is not something you're going to get from spring training baseball, really. Um, and the, the other thing is, um, oh, the other thing is like uh, the college games begin even before the spring training schedule begins. Mm-hmm. So in recent years. Um, um, hungry to watch the actual game being played. I've, I've, much more so than in the past, I've um, taken steps to actually sit myself down in front of college games, and I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. But I have no way, I have no anchor, right? Does that make sense? I have no way to really... Yeah, this is a... Yeah. I've been a huge college baseball evangelist uh, going back to, I don't know, probably about five or six years now. And people say, oh, I want to get into the game, and they don't – that's the the thing that keeps most people from doing it is they don't have an anchor. And, the, like, when I was primarily writing about the Phillies, I was writing two Phillies fans, and all these people – you know, most of them went to Delaware or Penn State, which has a terrible baseball team, and or Temple, which used to have a baseball team. Like, I did grad school at Temple – uh, for three years, and I didn't know they had a baseball team until they announced they were shutting the program down. So that's the <laughs> that's a bad the level yeah. of yeah. of commitment to baseball up there. So it's yeah, it's tough without without an anchor, right? And so so my entree uh, has been one, perhaps not surprisingly, of a statistical nature. Um, in the last year or two, Chris Mitchell, who writes for our site, um, has done some really nice work on looking at statistical indicators for minor league players. Um, going down into the low minors, of course, the signal uh, is, is much weaker at that point. Mm-hmm. Of uh, you know those uh, those statistical indicators which most um, which most point to major league success, and working on the perhaps uh, tenuous <laughs> idea that there was some similarities between the low minors and high level college baseball, I applied at least some of those same principles to some of the uh, more you know the more the stronger uh, conferences in baseball and have have been producing mo- most largely for amusement's sake, I would say. Um, and, and again, at least as a way to organize the what you pointed out via email to me yesterday, the large baseball universe that is that is the college game. 
mm-hmm. um, at least to come up with some ad name that I can look at. I mean, like, all right, this is Jaron Kendall. I, I know Jaron Kendall is a player, and I will I will endeavor to watch him play a little bit in a game. And so that's that's been my entry point, and I think it's not terrible. Um, but have you have you found any successful ways for people who say, I mean, I'm interested in the game, but how how do I make my way into it? I mean, the the most successful, and this is you know how I got into it is just having having a team to follow, even if it's at random. Like, um, you know, I you know picking up uh, um, University of Florida or something because you had a good time at spring break down there one year or something like that, or um, because uh, because you um, respect their uh, MFA creative writing program. Oh, they they have one of those. They write uh, in Florida now, do they? <laughs> I think actually, yeah, I think they actually have a strong program. It has a good reputation, at least. Yeah, yeah. good for them. Yeah. Um, or the other thing is, uh, it's sort of like the the statistical um, angle is just looking at prospects. You know, say somebody like Florida's AJ Puck might go number one overall, or Oklahoma's Alec Hansen. You you know, tune into ESPN three for a start. You watch the game, you start to get to know some of the players and all of a sudden it you know, college baseball is your background noise for February, March and and April instead of instead of basketball. So that's sort of what yeah, that's if if I weren't covering it pretty much every weekend, that's probably what uh, college baseball would be to me right now. Right. Well and of course you now you're from Philadelphia or the Philadelphia area at least. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um in in Philadelphia has a strong Major League Baseball culture there. Um, the, yeah. the as I <laughs> when the Eagles are bad, they do. Yeah. And, well, and as I've witnessed um, on a number of occasions by way of Twitter.com, mm-hmm. social media platform Twitter.com, they have a, a they have a um, an enthusiastic fan base. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, I, I've come from near Boston, and yes. and Boston, and really the whole New England area is uh, a lot of Red Sox fans. And here it's not, it, it, in, in perhaps this is the case with Philadelphia too, in certain other, I'm going to say probably more northern cities, you find a devotion to the baseball team, um, certainly this is true of the Red Sox, that is it is religious in some aspects. And so you do not necessarily have to be a jock dude mm-hmm. um, uh, to follow the team because it's really it's integrated into the fabric, like you know the fabric of just being a person from there. Yeah, and and that's but that, this is my guess is though is again we're talking about finding the like an entry point into the college game. There aren't really a lot of high-powered college programs for much in the north, except for I guess hockey and basketball they have. Um, but outside of that, it's difficult to find. I know that I think University of Maine back in like the 80s maybe had some strong programs. Um, yeah, I think the the last uh, the last northeastern. Um, School to win the College World Series, I believe, was Holy Cross uh, back in the fifties. They okay. won like the the second College World Series <laughs> okay. or something like that. Was did Bob so Cousy play on that team as well as the basketball team? I I don't know. I do know <laughs> their their head coach was Jack Barry, famous for Connie Mack's hundred thousand dollar infield. So that's the that's the like the level of um, you know how far back you have to go to find competitive baseball in the Northeast. And it's not it, like it's not because there aren't. Um, players up there, you know, the part of the world that I'm from, you know, uh, southern New Jersey produces uh, tons of good college baseball players. They're just all like Mike Schworn at, at Maryland, Zach Gallen at uh, um, 
North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a JUCO player named Devin Smelter, who's from my my hometown, who was recruited by South Carolina, went to Florida Gulf Coast for a year, and then um, had a good showing on the Cape, and said, "Okay, I want to go to the draft this year," and and went to uh, junior college not far from from where I am right now. So it's it's not the the level of it's not that the talent's not there. It's just it's tough to to play because it's just like it's not too cold. It's just rainy. It's, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can attest right now, like the ground. This is actually one of the probably the warmest marches we've had for some time. But the ground is just besotted. Is that yes. is that a word? Is it besotted? I think it's besotted. I think besotted means something other than <laughs> what I'm what I'm intending. Yeah, <laughs> it's damp. Can it's, I say it's damp? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, okay. damp is. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the sodded is strongly infatuated. So that's... Yeah, that's that's not at all what I mean. That's <laughs> no, okay. It's okay. Um, uh, and and to, to pick another team, uh, the very strong Vanderbilt program is any time seems to be littered with a few uh, New Englanders or Northeasterners. Yeah, that's uh, Tim Corbin when... from uh, Coach Tim Corbin's from the Northeast, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the a couple years ago when they faced. Uh, Virginia, well, they, the, those two teams have faced off in the, the national championship series the past two seasons, but in 2014, Virginia, all of Virginia's good kids were from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, and most of Vanderbilt's kids were like, they had some from Tennessee and, and the Carolinas, but a lot of New Englanders on that team. So it's not a, yeah, it's not a matter of talent. It's just that college baseball is not really a priority up there. Right, of course. Now, how did you become, I think you're a South Carolina fan, is that right? Yes. And how did yeah. you how did you become that? I went to undergrad at South Carolina. Okay, that's interesting. Now you seem to now you seem to harbor uh, some of the same biases, re, uh, regional biases that I do. It's not it's not exact, but you have you've already badmouthed your current your current hometown of Houston, Texas. Yeah. And, <laughs> and only because it's terrible. It's the worst place it, in the world. Okay, but and, and you cast aspersions uh, and question the, the the literacy of every Floridian already? Well, yeah, I mean that's, you know, that's uh SEC East rivalry, I guess. That's, okay, all right. Well, so, I was just curious, how is it that you can that you have the gall to discredit those places, but somehow you see virtues in South Carolina? Um, well, because unlike those other places, uh, South Carolina paid me a lot of money to go to college. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's fine. Yeah. That's good. Your loyalty is, uh, yeah. your loyalty is interesting. I can be now. bought. This is, <laughs> that's very good. Now, uh, South Carolina, uh, where, where, where is that place? Columbia? Columbia, yeah. What goes on there? Um, a lot of underage drinking okay. and uh, sure. occasionally, uh, occasionally some some governance. Mm-hmm. Um, less so in the Nikki Haley uh, administration uh, than in years past, but okay. uh, uh, lots of uh, occasionally barbecue. Sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, barbecue made by people who. Uh, who try to segregate their clientele on the basis of race. Okay. Uh, there's a famous barbecue joint called Maurice's down there that uh, uh, I think as recently as like the turn of the century tested the supremacy of the interstate commerce clause as the federal government's ability to, to mandate integration in, in public places. So, uh, yeah. So you got that going for you? Yeah, but, yeah we had a good time down there. <laughs> Okay. Now, uh, not 
perhaps not coincidentally, South Carolina has had some very strong baseball programs. I mean, yes. not, wait, I don't mean I don't mean that that's the connection with the segregation. No, no, that's got <laughs> nothing. To, well, what I'm saying is your your interest in their baseball yes. team, uh, because this this happens anywhere, right? You go to a place. It's you know, if you go to any European town, all of a sudden now you are the you know. You're the biggest Leicester fan. Well, of course, Leicester's quite good now. That's not a great yeah. example. But, uh, um, you know, you could be the biggest Sheffield United fan if you spent a semester in Sheffield. Or, I don't know, perhaps you quite like High Lie after spending some time in, I don't know what, Miami or wherever else they play High Lie. I don't know where they play High Lie. Yeah, I don't know where they play It might be Brazil. I could also be wrong. Um, the point is, is that that it's easy to get excited about those things, which the people are excited about. Yes. And what sort of um, – because SEC, of course, is known for its football. But what is the what is the baseball culture like in Columbia, in South Carolina? In in Columbia, it's really, uh, really pretty intense. Um, it's – up until recently, the, the men's uh, basketball program was just deplorable. I don't think they, they've won a – I don't think they've won an NCAA tournament game in uh, in 40 years or so. So football shuts down. Uh, pretty much in November, and then there's nothing to do until until classes get out in May. And you know the baseball team's been uh, consistently a national powerhouse for the past 15 years, and uh, they produced probably not as many um, major leaguers as uh, um, as the or they have more collegiate collegiate success than. Um, success as a producer of major league talent, for instance. Um, but it, they're honestly most notable for players that they signed but couldn't get to campus, like uh, uh, Will Myers and, uh, and Corey Seager and uh, Taylor Guerrero are all South Carolina signees who decide to forego college for the draft. But, you know, they've obviously won two College World Series uh, since the turn of the century. They've uh, made the, the finals a couple other times. Right. And, uh, is the player like – was a couple of years ago, I think, during one of their, their runs, their excellent runs, they had a pitcher named Michael Roth. Oh, he's he's a, a favorite of mine back when I – he was the, the first person I ever wrote about for uh, for Grantland back when that site existed. And now, so at some level, is he not the sort of archetype of the South Carolina player, which well, is there's... strong collegiate with, with little chance of a successful major league career? Uh Yes and no. I don't, they don't, they don't recruit to that the way there are other, there are some schools that actually do recruit to that to, you know, the kind of player who can succeed in college maybe, but would maybe have limited success in the major leagues. And there are some, some schools who, that, uh, that develop to that. They, you know, just bring in the best athletes they can and then give them a very college specific approach. Okay. All right. You, know, you hear a lot about the Stanford swing. That's sort of, um, you know, it's something that, has to get untaught in the in the pros a lot, um, but Roth was also sort of a unique player. It was just because he was uh, recruited as sort of a, a pitcher first baseman, and then up until his sophomore year, he was uh, a loogie. And then he made an emergency start in the losers bracket of the College World Series, uh, won that game against Clemson uh, to advance a South Carolina team that eventually won the national title, and then came back his junior and senior year and was one of the best starting pitchers in college baseball, despite not really having anything resembling uh, – um, you know, like quality stuff. as he, yeah, <laughs> he, he pretty like he changed arm angles and, and changed speeds a lot. And, uh, I, uh, 
had an interesting conversation with uh, Kirk Sarlus, the the TCU pitching coach, uh, I think about two weeks ago, and he said the difference between college and pros is you can get college hitters to swing at breaking balls out of the zone in a way that pro hitters won't, and Roth sort of lived and died with that. He he had great command, but hardly ever threw the ball in the strike zone. And uh, But in a larger sense, he was sort of the South Carolina archetype in that he's a he was a finesse lefty. I guess he still is. He's still kicking around in, in the minor league somewhere, but um, South Carolina for a while had a bunch of sort of long-armed um, lefties who maybe threw around 90 miles an hour, but had really good change-ups and good command. Um, and that sort of he became the the poster boy for that for a couple of years, but you know, obviously with a, a couple of guys that that uh, you and I have talked about before, they're they're starting to get away from that right now. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, in in, in I don't know if we're going to mention Adam Hill at all here. Yeah. Um, but he's had some really good starts. He's a freshman for them. Um, I'll write those down just in case we do get to that or not. Um, uh, there's also another player who was in South Carolina. This might have been. Uh, I'm sure this. Well, it's probably before you were there. Um, but he came up, I was doing a study maybe last year looking at the major league fates of Golden Spikes award winners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, it turns out by and large, especially, you know, over the last decade or two, these are, these are players whose skills translate quite well to the major leagues. Mm-hmm. And, except for, uh, except Kip for, yeah. Yeah, except for Kip That's a good point. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Yeah. And it's actually even coming true. Almost accidentally, by way of um, this, this uh, sorry, his, his name's escaping me right now. The first baseman in the Houston system. Oh, uh, AJ Reed. Right, AJ Reed, who was a terrific two, uh, two-way player at Kentucky, but then not selected till the second round. And despite that, is um, I mean, you know, obviously that's that's not chopped liver, but you know, first round is usually the place where. Um, you know, you're going to see the the best translation to major leagues, and he's uh, he's hitting very well um, as a minor leaguer now. But so yeah, Kip Book, oh, sorry, what's that? I was going to say AJ Reed's professional success has been something of a surprise to me. I didn't think, like I thought he was going to be just short of of major league quality as a hitter and a pitcher, but that turns out not to be the case. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, you know, obviously he hasn't been tested. Yeah, so I guess we'll, that's true. All indications, I mean, you know, he can't, he can't really do much more at this point, I guess that's what you can no. say of him. Uh, but yes, but looking through, you find, uh, a, a, you know, maybe there's one, there's a couple second rounders, maybe a seventh rounder in there. And then, there, yeah, there's Kip Buchnight, who went in the 13th round the year after he won the Golden Spikes Award. <laughs> uh, so not, um, he was not the darling, I guess, of all the major league teams. Could could you just explain to me Kip Buchnight from someone who might know? Um, I don't. Well, like you said, he was before my time. He was just sort of a, a name that people talked about. And I was like, well, if he was so great, I had sort of the same reaction. If he was so great, how come I've never heard of him? <laughs> but uh, I think it was just a, a matter of of the stuff not quite being there. I don't know if there was a, an injury that prevented him from from reaching the major leagues at all, but. Um, yeah, he's pretty sure he's got a banner out there at, at South Carolina Stadium and was never heard from again. Right. Well, he deserves it right now. Uh, yeah. Do you mind if I ask you about some guys uh, who are currently playing? Go ahead. And I don't listen. And I explained this to you before we, you know, uh, when we were corresponding. I don't expect you to have an encyclopedic knowledge. It's a large universe, the baseball <laughs> universe. Um, but we'll start. I want to start with some names that have been recurring on these posts, just so that I have. Uh, I guess more of a more context by which to look at them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first of them is is Corey Ray at Louisville. Yes, um, he's been appearing at the top of these 
uh, predictive stat leaderboards, really any kind of statistical leaderboard at this point. Uh, he's quite good. He's a junior now at Louisville. He appears, I mean, physically, he looks like a man. He looks like way more of a man than I will ever be or have ever been. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, um, uh, he's, he's exhibited power. He exhibited power as a sophomore, and he's, he's uh, certainly the rate is, has even increased this year, and he's making a lot more contact this year. He steals lots of bases. Um, <clears throat> I guess I'm, I'm interested in like a capsule review of Corey Ray, and I'm also curious as to why he's playing corner outfield and not center field when it seems like his skills would allow him to do that. Yeah, so Corey Ray, I saw Louisville in person a couple times last year, and the thing that stuck out to me is he's got a ton of power. Like He looks like a man, but he's not that big. He's below six foot. He's listed at 185 pounds. Um, but he can run like crazy. He's got a lot of power. Um, I don't know if I'd buy any reduction in the the swing and miss has sort of been the the knock on him as a prospect. Um, and I don't know that I would buy a reduction in that thus far just because Louisville's played an extremely weak schedule so far. Um, they beat up on uh, SIU Edwardsville in the first week, and Corey Ray went something like 13 for 17 and you know hit a bunch of home runs, which you'd expect because I, I do think he's the um, the best college position player in this year's draft class. As to why he's playing right field and not center, I don't – I know um, you were curious about that with Jaron Kendall as well. I have a better explanation for Kendall. I don't really have one for Corey Ray. I know um, – um, Louisville's been using, I think, Logan Taylor in center field. They used uh, Ryan Summers in center field a little bit last year. Um, and I think Ray actually has played center a couple times this year. So I think the if teams know that he can play um, that he can play center field, then that'll obviously help its, his draft stock, and it might be able to get. I was going to say it might help Louisville get another bat. Uh, in the lineup, I don't know that they've got another, you know, corner outfield quality bat. You know, they they sort of they're a team that that doesn't hit for like, you know, they hit for enough power, but you know, they get on base a lot more than they they hit for power. They've been hitting Brendan McKay in the middle of the lineup, and he's uh, a much better contact hitter than he is a power hitter, for instance. Um, all of this is a uh, roundabout way of saying that I, you know, I think it's it's a little bit early to draw conclusions from the stats, but what the the stats are telling us now is completely in line with what a scout might tell you. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it, it should be noted too that Logan Taylor, who is playing a lot of center fielder for Louisville right now, is also quite uh, speedy in yeah. his own right too, and maybe has what you might consider, um, well, maybe a, a more typical center field profile, especially on the college level, in that he does not hit for much power, but he he, he also has the capacity to steal a lot of bases as well. And sometimes you know sometimes they've just got. Uh, Three good defensive outfielders, which I think is the case in Louisville, you know, in Louisville's case. Right, right, and so, well, we can we can use this too to talk about Jaron Kendall, who has, yeah. I think, if I'm not mistaken, a pretty similar profile. Um, Ray's been playing more left field, where Kendall's been in right field with, I guess, Brian Reynolds in the center yeah. field. Um, but yeah, this is Jaron Kendall, another junior, draft eligible, right field, and he also is doing basically everything well. Um, and um, you know, so far this year, after having some contact issues last year, I think too. Of course, there's an the issue of not having entered the conference schedule yet. But you say you you have a better idea why Kendall's in corner outfield. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, Reynolds is that. I think it's more of a seniority thing. I think Kendall, you know, Kendall at least runs better than 
than Reynolds does. Reynolds is is a lot bigger, uh, a little bit longer. Kendall is sort of like he's he's small like Ray, but Ray is a little. Um, I'd call Ray a little leaner. Kendall is, you know, he's about six foot, but he's, he looks like one of those small guys that you really don't want to fight. Um, yeah, he's got like, he's very energetic, uh, energetic player. So, you know, he's got the wheels to play center field for sure, but I wonder if it's just a seniority thing with Reynolds who, um, he's, Reynolds is, is famous for being the slowest batter in, uh, in college baseball. He's a very, very good, uh, switch hitter, which is pretty rare in, in college baseball, guys who can actually, you know, hit for power from both sides of the plate, but be- between pitches, he steps out of the box. He does this whole routine with his batting gloves. He takes like, like twenty, thirty seconds in between in between pitches to the point where like the pitcher is ready to get into his windup before he gets back into the box. So, I think you know Vanderbilt plays a lot of long games, and and I'm willing to blame Reynolds <laughs> almost entirely for that. So you mentioned the, the role of seniority, and I was wondering about that as well because you do occasionally find situations where a, a younger player might appear to have the physical tools to be to be playing a certain position, but there's mm-hmm. another player on the team older than him who's manning that position. And I, and I think this might be the case a little bit uh, with Vanderbilt because they have a freshman now, Alonzo Jones, yeah, who I don't necessarily know everything about his tools, but he's been he apparently has enough bat to be receiving quite a bit of playing time, but he's receiving it at a DH, despite the fact that I think he's probably one of the fastest guys on the team. Yeah. Uh, which would let, which would lead me to believe that he has a place somewhere in, uh, you know, in, in the defense, you know, were you to give him a chance, but maybe because of this uh, sort of role of seniority, that's less likely to happen. Um, maybe. Do you know who, who Vanderbilt's third outfielder is right now? I know they, they started Roe Coleman there a couple times. Yes, I think and, uh, I think Roe Coleman and then there's maybe uh this past week Michael Grisante. Is that okay. a person? Yeah, I, I the is he Besa- I don't is know he anything besotted? about him. I don't know if Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, there's there's probably a little bit of seniority going on because like college coaching is there are a lot of nuances to just keeping everybody motivated because you're not dealing with as mature people as you would in a uh, in a major league locker room and then you know you have to deal with promises you may have laid out during recruiting or you know it's just a, a whole thing to juggle and and Tim Corbin hasn't been afraid to to play freshman in the past you know Kendall for instance played as uh, as a freshman last year, and um, you know he's started freshman all the way to the College World Series the, the past two years. So it might be a little bit of a seniority thing, and maybe Jones will play in the outfield a little bit more. But yeah, all yeah, pretty much all I know about Alonzo Jones right now is, is he's incredibly fast. So, but right, then and again, not, and not you know, Reynolds and yeah. Reynolds and Kendall are both good defensive outfielders. So you know there might they might just not have a spot for him right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And can I ask you about another outfielder in the SEC who, and again, at least statistically, it would seem to be a similar profile to either Ray or Kendall, maybe with a little less power. And that is, I think, a junior center fielder for Auburn, Anthony Greer. Does that name sound familiar? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so what's the what's the deal with Greer? Uh, Auburn's uh, Auburn typically does not have the the same sort of. Um, I think squad right that that uh, that certainly um, 
certainly the, the two teams we discussed here, Vanderbilt, of course, is like routinely ranked in the top five. Uh, but Greer seems to have acquitted himself quite nicely, at least uh, at the beginning part of this year, and seems to have had similar numbers over the past couple of years. Yeah, he's he's been the, the best player on a team that's been kind of bad the, the past couple of years. Um, you know, he's got a little power. He runs well, plays center field. There's a, It's a bumper crop of of uh that kind of and again he's not that big either he's only like 6-1 he's a little lean um you know probably a little less upside than than Ray just cuz he doesn't hit for as much power but um yeah he's he's in that you know toss him in that bucket as well um Auburn's in sort of a weird spot because they they fired their coach uh sort of late last offseason in mysterious circumstances so they had to bring in uh Butch Thompson is the the new head coach there, the former pitching coach at Mississippi State, and uh, he had to rebuild his team, you know, without the benefit of, of fall practice. So they're they're a little bit in disarray right now, just on the whole. But but Greer is definitely their best player. Now, is fall practice the, the coverage that you guys do at D1 Baseball is crazy. I mm-hmm. mean, crazy thorough. And again, for someone like me who doesn't have always the anchor point, it, it you know, there's some sometimes there's the question of like, you know, what what do I? What which of this information do I value or not? Do you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so I'll read some of it, and some of it is you know totally. It doesn't really apply to my experience, and some mm-hmm. of it I'm like, oh, this is very exciting. Um, but you mentioned you mentioned fall practice, right? Yes. How valuable? Or first of all, could you briefly explain what fall practice is? I'm guessing from the two words that it's practice that occurs during the fall. But I guess that is correct. Yeah. Okay, very good. <laughs> but how valuable is it? I guess both. For, from the team's perspective, and then also from someone, for, for you or uh, or Aaron Fit, for example, how, how useful is it to becoming acquainted with, uh, especially the new players on the roster, or any developments that might have occurred for returning players? Well, that's I mean that's the the whole thing is you know the NCAA uh, sets out guidelines on how much uh, time coaches can demand of players, and you know these rules are sort of they're stretched a little bit, but in terms of organized team practice, that's uh, strictly regulated. So if you get players coming in, you know, the the season stops in, uh, depending on how good your team is, anywhere from mid-May to to late June, and then these guys all go play for the collegiate national team or or, uh, in various wood bat leagues around the country, and then the, the coaches haven't seen them for... I don't know, three or four months, and they all get them on campus. This is their first time to look at uh, any true freshmen who might have come in over the summer, uh, players who might have suffered injuries. You know, there's a um, there's a, a rice pitcher named John Duplantier who missed all of. He just had he had a sort of a nagging elbow injury that uh, that would have knocked out you know maybe a third to half of a a major league uh, pitcher season, but because it was just sort of oddly timed, like he, he got hurt right before the season started, uh, he missed all of the, the 2015 season. So, you know, before he started uh, on opening weekend this year, that fall practice was the only organized throwing time uh, that he had where he could face live batters and, and so on. So it's it's huge for for information for coaches and then, you know, obviously the, the coaches relay that information, not, you know, less directly to me, more to, to Aaron and, and Kendall Rogers um, and Shotgun Spratling, who are a lot, much, much better connected than than I am in the um, the college baseball world. So that's, you know, when you, it's, um, 
it sort of takes on the the role of spring training, I guess, like spring training for for the major league uh major league teams like this is where you get the new faces and you get uh, acquainted with everybody and say oh this guy's developing a new pitch um and so on and then they go home for the end of the you know or they go back to the end of the fall semester and then they come back in january and start practicing you know really only two or three weeks before the season so that's where a lot of the the off-season training work gets done right uh, uh you now you seem uh, to be embedded in big 12 country at this point is that right um more or less um yeah i don't it's sort of weird. The the two schools here, Houston and Rice, are or Houston's in the uh, the American Conference, Rice's Conference USA. Um, I'm going to uh, to Baylor um, this weekend, which is a, a Big Twelve school, obviously, and I've seen Sun Belt, Big Twelve. Um, I'll probably see Texas A and M and LSU, which are you know SEC schools. So it's it's sort of a, a weird hodgepodge right now, but right. you know Texas is sort of its own entity right now. It, in many ways, yeah, yes. Uh, but you recently wrote about Kirk Sarlis, who is the mm-hmm. coach at TCU. Does that sound right? The pitching coach. Yeah. The pitching coach. Okay. And um, I'm just noticing uh, I haven't published these yet, but in terms of this um, um, this absurd statistical practice that I've taken up, mm-hmm. uh, TCU features the top pitcher and the top hitter. In the Big 12, in Elliot Barzilli, a third baseman, mm-hmm. and then um, and then Rex Hill, a starting pitcher. Yes. Uh, and I want to know, is this, does this seem accurate? Is this is this shocking to you, or does it make sense? Do they have actual skills? Well, it's not. Hill is a little bit. I don't know that Hill sticks in TCU's uh, weekend rotation. I saw him on the Sunday game of the Houston College Classic when they were in town a couple weeks ago, um, and they started. They started Brian Howard on Friday and Lucan Baker, who is a highly touted freshman, is also w- probably the biggest 18-year-old I've ever seen in person uh, in my entire life. Um, he started on Saturday and Hill started on Sunday, but their ostensible Friday night starter, Mitchell Traver, was hurt. So um, when Traver comes back in the rotation, it'll probably be Traver, Howard, uh, Baker, and Hill goes to the, the midweek. So. That and there are you know there are obviously other other good starters in the Big Twelve. Um, Alec Hansen comes to mind, even though he's really only had one good start. Um, Barzilli, I'm less surprised that he's on the top of that list because I saw part of um, part of the hot streak that he's on in person, and he's just spraying the ball all over the field, um, you know, hitting uh, hitting for a little bit of power. Uh, he came into the weekend hitting 688 and raised his batting <laughs> average. So, and what was the thing? A 688 and what? And he raised his batting average. <laughs> so, um, so strong. He, he's been very difficult to get out the the past few weeks. And does he seem to now? You, you seem to be indicating that maybe it's not a. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have home run power. At least that uh, you wouldn't project it, but. Uh, I think he hit a home run at a minute made. So you know he's got at least a little bit, but he's yeah. not. Yeah, he's not gonna you know blow you out, you know blow you away with with his power now. Yeah, typically the guys, especially given the sample sizes right now, typically the guys who who bubble up to the top of the list at this point mm-hmm. are the ones who are making a lot of contact because yeah. that skill tends to tends to become stable you know more quickly. I mean, in terms of a guy like I'm sure like who is it? Um, or Jesse Burkhart wrote about a Tennessee batter named Nick Senzel. Yeah, uh, for for Fangraphs today, mm-hmm. and Senzel, it, like it seems to be like a real part of his skill set is making real solid contact. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and not, that, yeah, that's what Barzilli's doing. It's yeah, you know, mostly line drives, not huge fly balls. Right, but a guy, but if but if a guy's striking out a normal amount, and it seems like his skill set is going to be, it's like that, you know, the Howie Kendrick skill set, where you just like lace everything. Yeah, and it's a bat, you know, it's a BABIP centered skill set, which is t- could totally survive and is totally, you know, based on skills. But it's just if you're doing any sort of like statistical analysis, it's not going to. It's not going to stick, especially with you know fifty to one hundred plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the sort of thing that's going to find a way. Uh, last guy I ask you about, uh, we'll go back to the SEC, is freshman Adam Hill, who has produced up yeah. till this point. I, I've watched a couple Adam Hill starts now. I think he sits in the low nineties, and he see, um, he seems to to have pretty good command. He's got one breaking ball. Uh, it's pretty good. And uh, he's thrown a changeup a couple times. It doesn't necessarily seem to be an elite one. But the point is, he's gotten great results. We're obviously – now, we're in the non-conference schedule, but so is every other SEC pitcher, and only Robert Tyler has produced better numbers. Um, now, Adam Hill's a freshman, so I don't know how much you know anyone could know about him necessarily, but what, what, is, it, what is your understanding of him, especially because he plays for that school that uh, – you know, for your alma mater? Yeah, the uh, all I've seen of him was a couple innings that uh, uh, start against Wofford on um, I think it was Tuesday night, and they pulled him early because they they announced yesterday I think they're gonna uh, put him in the in the rotation as the Sunday guy. Um, the my major impression is that he's extremely skinny, uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, he's sort of I talked about the Michael Roth archetype with the lefty with the good changeup, um, the what they've sort of gone away gone away from they recruited a, a pitcher named Will Crow a couple years ago who uh, I think I think it was Aaron who dropped the the Lance Lynn comp on him he's sort of a, a hefty um hefty here suit you know power right-hander uh, you know with a heavy fastball and they they've gotten back into the the power righty mold um with Hill and Brandon Murray who was a 30th round pick of the Phillies he was a highly recruited um player out of, uh, I think it was Indiana, um, that they got, actually got onto campus. So those guys in Hill are all sort of, you know, low to mid nineties with a, a good breaking ball. And the guy he's bouncing and also, uh, uh, Braden Mur- or, uh, not Murray, uh, Braden Webb, who's a, a freshman who's on campus this year. Um, so they've, they've got a, a nice array of, of sort of similar power right handers in, in addition to, um, uh, to, uh, I keep getting the the Schmidt brothers uh, mixed Clark, up. Clark Schmidt, perhaps. Yeah, Clark is the the one who plays for for South Carolina. He's sort of low arm slot, um, and he beat uh, beat Clemson this past weekend. So he's our Friday night guy. Murray on Saturday, and they're going to go with Hill on Sunday. So that's you know that's a lot of faith in a freshman for a team a team that's been they've got a lot of new faces this year. So maybe it's not as big a a show of faith as starting a, you know, a freshman on the weekend might be for a school like South Carolina. But you know that's so, definitely an information point. Right, yeah, it's exciting. And, of course, uh, and I think South Carolina is within the top 25, certainly a D1 baseball. Yeah. Um, um, and, yeah, I, anyway, you mentioned he's thin. Uh, that seems to be – that seems to bode well for him because he is 6'5". It seems like he could put on more mass and probably uh, throw a little bit harder because of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I know a little bit about, uh, you know, opportunities for putting on mass as a freshman <laughs> at South Carolina. <laughs> you did some work in that regard? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, what kind of uh, what kind of mass was it? Would you say it was it was um, constructive mass? 
uh, in the sense that it added volume and you know, mm-hmm. you know, expanded dimensions and so on. I don't know that it made my fastball any <clears throat> any faster. But Did it make your life sadder? <laughs> significantly, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, well, listen, uh, Michael. Yes. I want to say thank you for uh, participating in this exercise in absurdity with me. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it, yeah, it's been really helpful. I want you to know that. I came as a complete naif and now leave uh, a complete naif, but a yeah. <laughs> slightly more organized one, perhaps, in, in my ability to look at. So I want to say thank you. Why don't you stick around for one second, but for the sake of this, I have said thank you. And you could say, uh, you're wel- well, oh, did you say yeah. you're welcome, you're, okay? You're welcome, yeah. Yeah, that's very good. Okay, very good. I'll <laughs> say, that is uh, MJ Bauman of, well, well, let's look at your credits, d1baseball.com. Uh, yeah. And would you care to um, promote yourself in any other way? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, you follow me on Twitter at MJ underscore Bauman. Uh, I write about, in addition to college baseball, uh, I write about professional baseball for uh, today's Knuckleball and the Fan Rag Network, as well as uh, Baseball Prospectus, although I've been writing about more baseball-adjacent topics there. So yeah. yeah, you can go check that out at your convenience. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, At your convenience, make sure, listener, don't go out of your way to do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want I don't want to be an imposition. All right. That has been Michael Bauman. Thank you so much. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.